0: What's up, guys? It's Little D from FMF, when I'm not mixing gas and hauling ass, I'm listening to Big MX Radio. Hey, guys, what's up? This is Andy Forsella here. You're listening to Big MX Radio, but when you're done with this episode, come check out the MFCEO Project, the MFCEO.com.
1: i got all your motivation. I've got everything you need to know about running your brand. I've got everything you need to know about getting shit done, and we can do it together. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by FMF and the Collective Experience And speaking of the collective experience, uh, if someone was wanting a extra special uh, way to take in a national, whether it be Supercross or an outdoor, you need to look into the collective experience, bringing you closer to Motocross and Supercross than any other program out there in the pits. You you basically you're you're part of a program with a privateer. Uh, You become a team member for the day, whether it be uh, helping out with uh, with Breaking down the track a little bit, videoing, you name it. Check out uh, thecollectivexp.com er, uh, today for more details. And with us on the line, we have the sole proprietor of the Collective Experience, and you can follow him at, at double D Dave Drakes on uh, the Instagram d, d Drakes on ddrakes175 because he's got a three-digit number because he's cool like that um and also uh you can follow the instagram at the collective ex on instagram to get all the updates on the collective experience dave drakes thank you for waiting for the extra long intro but uh, had to get a little information on the on the program there big guy
0: yeah man hey talk as long as you need man as long as you're plugging (laughs) us then go for it
1: (laughs) no problem absolutely and uh, make sure uh, everyone head over to uh, the Moto Hub on Instagram. Tell him I sent you, and uh, maybe it'll just be like, raise his eyebrows and be like, "Why?" But uh, let's uh, let's talk about Ironman. Let's talk about 2018 outdoors. Uh, this is the 12th round that we're doing this, Dave. It's the uh, the the race recap. Only one day removed from it. This is this is about as early as we've ever done one. And this last weekend was the latest we've ever done one. So I guess that kind of like evens things out. Like basically makes it so we did like one on Wednesday and the next one on the Wednesday or somewhere along those lines. But either way, we're only 24 hours removed from the checkered flag uh, flying in Crawfordsville, Indiana. You were in attendance. Those shoes you were wearing are probably muddy as fuck. Um, so uh, you might want to like just uh, get get something new going on that, that, that side of things. But uh, tell me a little bit about it. The four-hour drive to there, the mud on your shoes while you were there, and obviously watching these guys make riding in the mud look a whole lot easier than you and I do. Uh, Tell me about
0: it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, My shoes are extremely destroyed. Um, They're so bad that I'm just leaving leaving those things in my trunk for a little while and hoping that they, like, harden because it's just the thickest, wettest mud ever. Um, Yeah, it was a little different than most of the drives, Uh, you know, There's a little bit of overcast on the way in, and uh, I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, we can't possibly have two mud races in the season. They'll probably just blow over, give us a light sprinkle, but, man, did it downpour. I mean, driving in, there was, you know, caravan of cars just, you know, pulled over, and uh, you could see that whole cell just moving straight towards the track, which is not ideal for for most of the racers or those in attendance, and uh, the track just got worked over. I mean, uh, just almost like rivers running through the pits, and a lot of the privateers and even the factory guys were just, they looked like they were scratching their head trying to get these bikes, you know, all prepped up and, and get the mud off between practice. And, um, the racetrack was an absolute battlefield. You know, it's, it's one thing when it starts to rain and things are a little bit slop, sloppy and muddy, but at least the rain kind of coats it and keeps the bikes a little bit lighter. But this, you know, this stuff was just thick. It stopped raining halfway through the day. And man, it just, it made for some pretty decent racing. Some uh, there's still a lot of action, thank God. But holy crap, that these guys have a huge, huge task on their hands. It was one of the gnarliest races I've ever seen. And I'm i I'm surprised they all got through it. I mean, you know, a typical, you know, am racer like myself, I would have uh, probably blown my bike up just right through the pits. So hats off to those guys.
1: For sure. Like like the thing is is like uh a lot of like, I talked to a couple of fans today while I was out riding, getting my throttle therapy. Um and shout out to the geese Brex for uh, letting me ride their track two days in a row awesome uh, little facility uh and uh, the, the honestly the, the the dirt itself second to none anytime that you can use a potato field as uh the base for your motocross track you're gonna have some epic corners uh every single time uh but yeah like these like one one of the comments was like oh the mud must have been bad because like those guys were like basically paddling with both feet I'm like absolutely it was probably really bad but let's also not forget that these guys are also trying to uh turn lap times that are quite possibly only a few seconds slower than the ones that i would be trying to complete when it's bone dry like uh it's not just that it's muddy, these guys are also t- still trying to be the fastest guys in the world to go through those types of conditions, so hats off to them for being able to uh, keep it all together, some guys didn't weren't able to do so but for the most part um, it was I was in- incredibly impressed with uh, just the skill and uh, some of the guys still jumping some of those jumps out there and uh, also a hats off to the track crew for making the track as passable as it was because if you watch qualifying and practice, and we'll get into that a little bit with the 250s, um, it was a, it was like, they they some of them they're doing lap times. I'll pull it up here, uh, well well outside three minutes.
0: You're hundred percent hundred percent right. Yeah, I mean it was it was just it was super taxing to watch. I mean there was uh there were some practice sessions where the guys were absolutely crawling, and some guys actually got stuck in the outside of the track. Uh, I remember one rider took at least I mean four or five guys to pull his bike free. You know, plus a you know four wheeler to kind of um, help get things started, and it was just absolutely just it was chaos for a little bit. And and you brought up a good point. I mean, you know, as 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 slow as those guys are going, I mean, you know, we would be going ten times as slow, and and they still only probably a second or or right on our our, our normal lap times at that track. So um, it's is, it's is a testament to how to how good these guys are, and how you know even in adverse conditions like that. They still, you know, they still hold, hold fundamentals down and, and they can still find the fast way around the track as they fast with, the, you know, quotes around it. But, um, yeah, it was definitely definitely something to see, you know, with qualifying being mixed up and you got some privateers on top and everything. It, the, the mud definitely threw these guys for a loop. And um, I, I know I didn't, but I expect a lot of the industry did not expect to have, a, you know, two mud races relatively close to each other.
1: For sure, like it's, uh, it's it's a total roll of dice. 2016, we didn't have a single mudder. Last year, we had uh, maybe one. Uh, in other years, it seems like uh, it's death taxes and mud races as a, as a guarantee. And um, but uh, yeah, it's a roll of dice, and we, we, we go to the races every weekend, uh, hoping for the prime conditions. Um, and, and some guys excel in stuff like this. Um, and what what blew me away is the the qualifying times for the two fifties. They split them up, and um, I think that's why they, they combined them in the 450s. It was that, uh, like, they had so many guys out there, I think there was over 60 total entries, so I guess you can't put them all out there together. But the first session was ex- way faster. Hunter Sales, uh, uh, admitting that his fastest lap uh, was, like, like it was basically the first lap that he completed, a a 231.1 was good enough for first overall and uh the next closest guy that uh, has a a decent bike to ride was uh was 7 seconds behind in Savachi and not to say a privateer bike isn't uh, isn't a worthy uh uh bike to ride in these uh, at all in any races like but obviously a factory machine is uh, uh above all the uh the most coveted uh out there but like Hunter Sales Cody Van Breskirk, michael hand uh, like uh, Maxwell Sanford I've never heard, like I'm, uh, I gave, I'm I'm sorry Maxwell if you're a listener but I've never heard of Maxwell Sanford and uh he puts in a phenomenal lap time um, and, and yeah it was like it it was it, like you could say it wasn't fair, but th- that's the way it was, and uh, it actually resulted in a few factory guys actually not making it in. But uh, good on some of those uh, privateers for for getting a little bit of spotlight. I'm I'm pretty sure that was uh, Hunter Sales' first interview ever when he got interviewed for the uh, the qualifying from um, from uh, what was, what's her name Will Will Christian Yeah, Will Yeah, Will Christian. Yeah, Will Christian. Yeah. You, you, the, the, yes interview there like I think he was completely uh he was a deer in headlights there but uh hats off to the guy i think we're gonna try and get him on the podcast this week and get to the bottom of that but uh took his ktm to uh first spot
0: it was it was one of the t- only times where i've ever looked at such a, a widespread of the top qual- qualifying time and went oh my gosh who is this guy i mean i know like if, if you're stumped if, if Anyone who's listening, if Brad is stumped on who somebody is, then that means things are a little bit skewed. Brad knows pretty much everyone in racing. So just a little just a little aside. Uh, but yeah, I mean you could go down that list for qualifying, you're like, who the hell are these random guys from, you know, Wisconsin and Idaho? And, you know, you go down the list and check. And um it, it just the the rain just really did a number on qualifying. You know, it, it happens a little bit here and there in some super crowd especially some of the open domes where yeah. whoever gets that first, uh, that first practice session usually gets a better, uh, uh better qualifying spot. But I think we've we've never seen the, we've never seen it to this degree where we've got so yeah. many, such a huge group of privateers and such huge gaps in qualifying times going ranging from, like you said, seven seconds to the next guy, you know, and that, that just, uh, it's almost unheard of. So I I think this was definitely one race that a lot of guys are going to remember. Uh, Some guys for the worst, like some of those factory guys that didn't make it in some guys for the best where this might be like, they're only claiming the same, you know, getting a top 10 qualifying spot or like Hunter sales, getting interviewed and getting all the attention. I I think it's uh, I'm hoping that it has a really good effect on some of these guys. And, you know, I'm always big on, you know, confidence and momentum moving forward. And I I think uh, uh, a lot of these guys are going to start, you know, maybe taking their training up a gear. or, or trying to make you know more serious, uh, more serious racing efforts to to kind of make that happen again. Um, so yeah, you might see a lot of privateers uh, taking a trip down south for the winter, trying to get uh get up to uh, speed
1: for sure. And like just to name a few guys that uh, did not uh, make it in through times, obviously Shane McElrath, Austin Forkner, and Jordan Smith uh, all had all in the top ten for points. So they get a, a, a provisional to put them in. Of course, that does not allow. For 43 riders into uh, the main event, so that means the 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 back three guys uh, of the uh, qualifying uh, for 38, 39, and 40th all get bumped out, and you'd most likely assume that those are usually. Uh, three digit guys and and in some in two cases these were three digit riders but they're they're usually privateers for sure like they're a little bit bummed to make them in but uh, they're certainly not going back to a uh, a team of uh of technicians and a suspension guy and a team manager who are all disappointed in uh, that their riders not hitting the line it's usually uh either dad or a buddy at back at the truck saying ah well, we we tried our best but uh Michael Mosman Uh, and Jordan Bailey both not making it in and Mitchell Falk who uh, uh, which he's probably wishing he didn't turn pro last weekend because he could probably still race the amateur all-stars for uh, for Monster Cup Um, but uh, yeah Mitchell Falk ends up having to pack up go home same thing for uh, Jordan Bailey all three of those guys had times good enough to make it into the main events but uh, those guys get forced out but also uh, riders that did not make it into the uh, main events. Uh, Enzo Lopes, who's had a strong year all season. Dakota Alex, who uh, like he's like he's a factory guy,s on a uh, factory KTM. Jimmy Dakotas, uh, his I, I, which I will what I believe will be his last race with uh, JGR. He uh, like unable to make the main. Sean Cantrell, and we, we've definitely mentioned him over this uh, this year, and uh, a guy that we talked about for the last two weeks, finally getting some momentum. Finally. Uh, riding that Husqvarna uh, 250F to his potential over the last two weekends and even capping it off with a. Uh, uh, I think he had a, a podium. Was it in the was it podium for overall this last weekend? Uh, at uh, Was that Unadilla? I think. No, not Unadilla. Uh, Buds it's Creek. I think at Buds Creek. Creek, Mitchell Here we go. Harrison goes from on the podium to not making the motos. Uh, qualifying 30, uh, 63rd overall. That is uh, a bad taste in your mouth, and not just out of a weird way to finish your season. Like you go in, you get the, you take your flight, you do all your pre-race rituals and stuff like that, and all of a sudden you're sitting there on the sideline, uh, and um, yeah, it was a total bummer. But uh, for those guys, but uh, we had to head out onto the track. It was a beautiful raceway uh, once they were able to uh, get some of the mud off. And although, yeah, like super super muddy like again i gotta give hats off to the track workers for making it even passable because uh if not for all that work i don't think uh some of those bikes would have made it as many as there did because uh yeah like like uh, the guys are still jumping some stuff which i was amazed they were able to do so
0: yeah uh speaking of that uh, kenny actually still was able to to, uh uncork that huge uphill triple yeah um, coming back up the top of the hill so that was was pretty stellar and Oh, you and me both, man. I, I wouldn't even want to walk that thing. And uh, yeah, you know, Kenny walked by after the um, the season wrap-up dinner and was talking to us about it a little bit. And just, uh, yeah, he was telling us, you know, he hit it clean the first time, second time, just cased the crap out of it, and then decided to back it down and play it easy. I'm assuming he didn't want to, you know, mess those, uh, those wrists up anymore. But uh, yeah, it was just the fact that he even thought about doing that was pretty gnarly. I mean, that corner before, the face going up to it, even though it was, you know, not as sloppy as of the other parts of the track, still had tons of water on it. Uh, I'm sure he still had maybe less than half the traction I'm sure he's used to at that portion of the track. So, um, yeah, that, that guy was uh, definitely, definitely, you know, had and shoulders uh, above it. everyone else in that lap. And you could see Eli in uh, one of the practice sessions still doing that uh, that Godzilla job, going up, you know, right after the mechanics area and um, still making it look dry for most part. So, I mean... You know, I can't stress enough how gnarly this track was, how wet, how heavy the bikes were, how the mud was just making everything so transient. These guys were all over the place. I mean, barely, you know, barely getting any traction. And the fact that they were still able to hug some of this stuff, I mean, you know, these guys are pretty much superheroes. You know, like I said, I mean, there were some guys that struggled getting onto the track when they kind of came off to talk to the mechanic and just getting through that thick mud. So, you know, watching these guys still jump things, it's, it, it really blows your mind.
1: For sure it does. And uh, I, I think that that's completely understated. Regardless if it's dry, a little bit muddy, or a complete mud bog, these guys always make it look easier than it actually is. And it, like, it's amazing to think that because sometimes you see the conditions and the bikes dancing around or underneath them. And it, like, to even attempt to even fathom those that those speeds around the track, whether it be dry or how it was this weekend, those guys still make something super special happen. And they also make it look like it's not sketchy at all. Like, they have a few moments here and there. But for the most part, those guys are sending it. And the guy that kind of made it look the easiest, and I don't think anyone was so surprised by this, uh, like, kind of, I wouldn't say born in the mud, but uh, damn near Aaron Plessinger, your 2018 uh, 250 champ, uh, puts an exclamation point on it this this week with a uh, <clears throat> with a 1-1 performance. Uh yeah, what what else can you say? The guy uh, he's gone one one I think was it four or five different times this year at least four if not five times he's gone one one uh, in twelve nationals. Like uh, I don't care what anybody else brought, he's a champ.
0: One hundred percent. I mean, uh, in the two hundred and fifty class, consistency is like the name of the game almost with a lot of it, and he stayed. I mean, true to that. I mean, you couldn't get more consistent than Plessinger. I mean, he only had. But one or two bad motos and the guy just kept backing up his one one finishes or his one-twos or uh, you know wins just just overalls and uh yeah he was he was ahead head ahead of his class you know he he kind of wrote a little bit like Eli in the sense that I, I think he just wanted it more than other guys and put himself in the best position possible and just uh, mitigated some of his uh mistakes and, and just little little off things that that happened that seemed to happen a little bit more on the 250 class than the younger crop of guys and uh yeah he, he went out on top went out with the one one he very much could have kind of sat back like he did last week at his buds and uh you know sick and kind of took like a 10th or 15th and just rode it out but you know he went out with the bang went one one uh rode awesome he actually came from the back to kind of catch you know the guys that were leading like sexton and and the rest and uh rode rode awesome you know i think he used his, his height to his advantage and it kept that bike working um you know actually part of the, through the first photo his bike started smoking and and he had to kind of go into lymph mode a little bit and still won so um yeah like that guy had a stellar stellar year he deserves you know this championship and everything that comes along with it and uh i'm hoping that that uh he can still be a contender in the 450 class i'm really hoping that. uh he can step it up and, and carry the same sort of success and momentum forward. So I don't want to see him have a, you know, an off year and a silver year like we saw with Filipoto a little bit, his first 450 season or like web or anything. And mm-hmm. um, not a knock to web, just, you know, we haven't seen him perform, but um, yeah, it was, it was awesome to watch to watch him go out like that and, and to, to go out on top and really make a statement for next year. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I still can't believe how well he wrote that, but it's just, it's just absolutely incredible.
1: You bet, and uh, yeah, like, it's just, I think this this kind of solidifies, and, and obviously when he got the title, it kind of clinched it, but um, this, this really does tell me that uh, regardless of what Zach Osborne would have brought, regardless of what uh, Jeremy Marta would have brought uh, throughout this season, I think that uh, this was Aaron Plessinger's year outdoors, and uh, he was just that good. And uh, obviously those guys would have had something to say about it, but I think he still would have gotten the uh, gotten it done in the end. And uh regardless of the conditions, regardless if it mattered or not, uh he was still able to, uh, to to rise above and uh the rest of the guys had to chase him down. At one point we were looking at possibly having uh three guys podium a moto, which would have been uh like on the same team, which isn't something that we've seen for a number of years. I think the last time that uh we saw a team go one, two, three uh at a national was ah, it's gotta be pro circuit with Stroop, Villapoto and Brett um, Metcalf. Was it? Sorry?
0: Okay. It was, I was gonna say maybe Townley back then. Yeah, maybe Townley. All, uh,
1: I yeah. actually you know what? I think they did do that at Millville. They did that. Um it was Town or yeah, Villapoto, Townley, and Metcalf went one, two, three. Even in the overall, which is even more impressive. But uh, the Geico guys got in there regardless, and they were able to uh, uh, kind of spoil the party a little bit. Chase Sexton uh, really catching fire at the end of the season. Actually, like we we'd kind of talked about him not really being a a top. Three guy, and that, that was like kind of what I expected him to be. this summer was to be a consistent top three guy, and a couple of podiums to finish off the season. Um, Colt Nichols uh, came to life with a couple of um, motos well inside the top ten, uh, fourth overall. Good way to finish off the season for him. I think uh, he did kind of the same thing last year. But uh, yeah, these these were some like pretty crazy. Uh, um, actually, wait, Mosman did make it in. Was he is he top was he top ten? No. He's in the results, so he must have made it into the motos. Maybe only two guys got forced out, huh? Anyway, yeah, I yeah, misspoke earlier, but either way, yeah. And actually, Bailey ends up 17th overall because uh, he got in, He he got into the second moto based on that guy's not racing, so he did race the second half. How, how how about that, Dave, for Jordan Bailey? You don't get into the first motos because you didn't qualify, but then you're like first alternate in the second moto, so you end up racing. And getting seventeenth overall, twelfth. That must have been like yeah, the weirdest day ever. Upside down day. That yeah, would have been exactly. yeah, totally. Decent. They're like, oh, I didn't race the first moto, and they're like, oh, you're in the second moto. They're like, oh, all like, oh, right, cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, but and then bust out a twelfth, you know, twelfth place finish, which you know he's not, he's not a bad mud rider. Yeah. I just wish he could see some of those top fifteens and when it's dry out and you know. Yeah, but for sure, yeah, still an upside down day. I mean, when, you never thought you'd say, oh, yeah, there'd be a, a podium in the 250s without a PC bike up there. It's, I'm still scratching my head about that with
1: you all, know, all not, not
0: seeing those guys That's... win every weekend. It's, just, it's so insane.
1: Well, yeah, and that, that we're kind of product of uh, the basically from the mid-2000s or mid-90s going on forwards. Like, it was, uh, it was pro circuit bikes. Well, obviously, Ricky and then uh, Brown. And then, like, you could basically count James as a pro circuit Kawasaki because he probably should have gone to that team. But uh, we were going to go race for the factory uh, with, uh, with James. Mm-hmm. So he, he raced the, like, basically, it was a ca- pro circuit. It was, it was a, it's still a pro circuit pipe anyway. Uh, and you, so I think you kind of, for most people, he felt like he kind of fell into that umbrella anyway. And then, like, we talked about off air, Tedesco, Villapoto, Villapoto, Villapoto. And then a couple of years of not, of like, uh, then that's Dungy, Canard, and then uh, Dino. And the last guy to, to really make things happen for Pro Circuit was uh, was and He's been on a 450 quite some time now. So, um, yeah, like, it was just a weird year for Pro Circuit, both indoors and out. I think only one race win, two race wins. They got one with Forkner, maybe one or two with Forkner. And one with Savachi. no, uh, and one with with uh, Adam C and Cirillo. He won the, he won Vegas, so a few wins, but like just a weird uh, outdoor season. Like just kind of like I don't know. You shake your head. Um, yeah, they just, just, very, just off. Like, you got, very, like, very off. Yeah, off and just and strangely off. Like not like underperforming because slow. Like underperforming because strange things were happening and like. Yeah, Austin Forkner, a seven five. Um, I think if you're um if you're Austin, you're just happy to be leaving uh the the series healthy. You got a full bill of health and you're you're moving on to uh like a, a full off season of prep looking forward to I I would imagine that you see him on the west coast uh this year. Um although last year he raced the east, so who knows? I I that was because of the wrist. He was supposed to race west, and then his wrist was a W. Uh uh so we he ended up racing the East. But uh yeah, like it it's um like the whole season, uh Justin Cooper, I think he ended up uh what third overall? Third in points? I think. Let's see where he ended up in points. This is great. Yeah, right he here. was third third in points. Third in points. That's yeah, right behind that Martin. Yeah, not and yeah, not too far behind. Like uh actually wait a pretty big gap actually. It was forty almost forty points. 40 points so that was a, a big gap the funny thing is about Alex Martin's year and uh, like he had like absolute flashes of brilliance at the beginning of the season and then as these last like six weeks or six races have gone on it almost seems like it's been a while since uh, Alex Martin really had a strong day does it feel like that to you as well like South yeah, was the I last like time that I'm like yeah he's up there
0: exactly like, he's been he's been a little quiet you know I I'm used to seeing him up front hearing his name in a broadcast and stuff. And um, I haven't, it, it's been weird. I feel like it's been a while since we've heard him, you know, um, you know, Martin makes a pass for this, or, or, you know, here comes Martin in third or. Or Martin leading laps or, or getting the whole
1: shot. You know what I mean?
0: Yep. And, 100%. And now it's, you know, I feel like he's kind of fallen towards the wayside. Like maybe he's getting a little gassed out towards the end of the season. Um, but, you know, which is something that I, I did not expect to see given his, you know, his track record, for uh, for outdoor stuff man, the guys were, the guys were super solid outdoors and racked up number number of wins you know for uh, for the Yami team and you know moving to KTM I fully expected this guy to to dominate and oh it's just it's just it's a bummer to see uh to see him so far back in second to not have many wins this season and um to not you know have a to not create the momentum that he had early in the season to the end of the season they are very very curious to find out what's what's going on with those guys.
1: Yeah, what's eating Gilbert Grape? What's eating Alex Martin? But uh uh we will see him on a, a JGR Suzuki for 2000 and uh 19. So that's pretty exciting. Uh he'll uh, he'll leave TLD after 2 years of uh some up and down results, never able to be 100% healthy with the team, I don't think, um and 100% comfortable. So, uh a great opportunity with a great team that just sort of didn't go great uh but um as far as results and obviously still took a step forward as being a, a, a serious contender and second in the series is nothing to sneeze at. But, uh, I'm interested to see how things go on the, uh, the JGR Suzuki for 2019. Um, obviously moving on to that team, Mitchell Falk, as well as, uh, um, Derek Drakes will both be on that team. Uh, Mitchell turning, uh, going to supercross, uh, either East or West. I imagine, I imagine West. And then, uh, um, cause he's a West Coast kid, I think. Yeah, he's he's a SoCal kid. Um, and then um, Drake's, I think, is going to turn pro at uh, at Hangtown, so that's exciting in and of itself. Um, is there anything else that's kind of stuck out to you uh, as far as the results from uh, from Ironman at uh, for the two hundred and fifty class?
0: Ah, uh, to be honest, I'm a little surprised that Ferrandis didn't get a better a better result. Um, that, that guy is a uh it's really, really good in some adverse conditions like we saw this weekend and a guy can ride ruts very, very well. Uh, he seems to really like the rougher tracks, like, you know, look at him at Southwick and he did good at Red Bud, which is super deep and um yeah, I I felt I felt like this guy was a podium threat for this week and the minute I saw the rain come out I was like, All right, already right, yeah, I know is gonna kill it, you know, Feranius is gonna do awesome and maybe have like a, a kid like Cooper come out or maybe even Forkner, like I said, with my predictions which were super off last weekend. <laughs> but yes. um yeah, it was. Uh, I was a little shocked to see him so far back. I, I really thought that he would cap the season off with a with a podium, but um, you know, maybe maybe something happened, or, or uh, he had uh, some bad luck during the motos because, as you saw, everybody was falling, people were crashing into each other. Uh, it could have been a number of things. So, um, you know, he's he's still super talented. He's got next year to kind of redeem himself a little bit
1: and, and assert himself as
0: a as a title contender. So, uh, we'll, we'll we'll wait for that
1: one. Yes, we will. And uh, actually, just want to also mention first overall as far as uh, uh, qualifying goes. But then backed it up. Hunter Sales twelfth or eleventh overall, a twelve fourteen. Like it's one thing to go get the fastest time when the track was at its most passable, and you happen to just like put down like slay a heater in the mud. It's another thing to go 30 plus plus two against the still the best out there like these guys like for the most part other than uh, missing a few uh, factory dudes uh, this was a, a, a full uh, a full gate and um, hunter sales 1214 like that's a pretty damn solid day for a guy who um, like all I've ever the only thing I've ever heard about hunter sales prior to this is that he uh, he was a, a fantasy uh, fantasy motocross disappointment um, with uh, with some maybe pulling off at some point but that that was just like that's an awesome day for Hunter Sales. Hats off to that guy.
0: Yeah, it, especially uh, especially at that track, you know, I I don't think it's one of his hometown races, quote unquote. I don't think he's got a ton of experience there. So yeah, um, to to get that top fifteen and uh, at a track, I'm sure he's you know still still warming up to and and uh, one that ended up being a mud bogger. Yeah, that's that shows some serious talent. Uh, you know, I, I guarantee you that of that good position, kind of. Was was uh, was a product of just that confidence boost he got from from you know re- having the fastest qualifying time and some of the attention. a little little bit of added positive pressure on him. So um, yeah, that's cool. It could have very easily been a top ten if he would have probably made a couple more spots in that second moto.
1: For sure. Yeah, I think uh, he he's in the he's in a good he was in a good spot to have a great day. And then uh, like there's a lot of other guys that would have like taken a first gate pick and uh, and just just not pulled the trigger, and he basically, like, he was still, he was the fastest privateer in qualifying, and he was the fastest privateer, uh, when the results, uh, came down. I will also make a small mention of James Justice, that has the best name in motocross, that is, he sounds like he should be a, uh, top secret spy of some, of some sort, or maybe like a, uh, um, like a like a detective or something, Detective James Justice, uh, something along <laughs> those lines. Like I think that that's kind of awesome uh, is, uh, that I noticed. But uh, other one of my also favorite things of the day was listening to Jason Wygant try his very best to pronounce many of these names for the very first time, like uh, Justin Robbe- uh, Rod Bell or uh, Taylor Strauss or. Uh, Tyler uh, Scodras, like a bunch of names that he's probably never seen before and having to do those on live television is not easy. Like uh, obviously calling out the names of RJ Hampshire, Chase Sexton, Colt Nichols, uh, Justin Cooper, like those are all names that you see every single weekend when all of a sudden you throw, you just like just throw a bunch of random names in there that you've never seen before. As an an announcer, that's not easy. So hats off to Wygant for that. We're going to throw it to the commercial break right now. We'll come back with the 450 class here on the Big MX Radio Podcast Show, brought to you by The Collective Experience. And we're back. Big MX Radio Podcast Show here. And uh, we'll finish off here the season with the 450s, the premier class, uh, and this thing came right down to the to the last moto. Um, but before we talk about the champion, Eli Tomac, who now wraps up his second uh, championship in as many years, I talked about this last, uh, last time we did a podcast, what, three days ago. Uh, not even. Yeah, three days? Three days ago, sure. Um, and you totally agreed. But Justin Barsha, Comeback Rider of the Year, starting the season with a six-race, tryout deal with Yamaha. Didn't know if he was going to end up coming back full-time. Didn't have a full ride all year long. He's on the Moorcross Nation's team. Goes into the last race of the year. Yes, it's muddy and yes, he does excel in those conditions because, uh, because Barsha reasons. But uh, he still has to pull the trigger on that. Justin Barsha goes 1-1 on the day. Basically just like putting an absolute stamp on it. Comeback rider of the year
0: and i'm I'm super happy that it happened like that, you know from the from the first couple of races, I was begging begging to, to see the bar Barsha a couple of years ago and um to see that bam bam that was just ultra aggressive, getting good starts, riding confidently, and we weren't seeing it and man, I am so happy that he finally returned and um I was probably happier than he did when he when he finally got the the one one at, at Crawfordsville. it was it was really really cool, you know being a Barsha fan and and just seeing you know a guy who was a, you know, super cross title holder and, and somebody that was, you know, I tell how, you know, captain positions on, on factory teams, you know, watching them over the last couple of years, kind of like that decline was, was a little disheartening. And um, this year has been a hundred percent Barsha year, you know, it'll, it'll, the history history books will show, you know, Tom Mack having a stellar year, but it, it really won't show the story of Justin Barsha and, and, you know, getting that tryout ride and coming, coming back from, um, you know, Hash, you know quote unquote this hashtag privateer uh, status and and all of that man it's just really uh it's really cool to see him get back to that to that spot where he's uh he's not letting these guy push him around he's not settling for uh, a top five or a top seven and he looks like he's hungry he wants to win he's he's, he's uh, capable of winning uh, multiple races and heck maybe even a title if he uh if he gets his head on straight and and runs consistently but um yeah, it's a really, really good season for Barsha. I mean, this is something that uh, I don't think anyone expected to see. If you would have asked anyone in the industry, save for his team, um, you know, they would have told you that Barsha might have been a top five guy at best, at the very, very best. And watch him do a one-one um, at you know at a mud race, and and just what he did last weekend. And I mean, it's just really, really cool to see. So. I'm hoping it continues on the next year. I really want to see Barcia um, really making Tomac sweat. I want to see all all of the you know the top seven guys in, in uh, the 450s uh, make a push and, and start rattling uh, Tomac and Ruskin around a little bit. Instead of having just two guys who for the winning, it'd be great to have you know seven or or ten that can just sneak in there any any minute. Aren't afraid to get their uh, their elbows a little a uh, little rubbed up from the you know pushing these guys around. And um, I think it makes make for better racing. Get these guys a little faster and. And, and give us a really, really good show. I think there's multiple guys who are capable of it, and I'm just hoping it happens.
1: Yes, sir. And, uh, yeah, I, I hope that uh, uh, this bleeds over to uh, MXDN. He can put in another great performance. And, uh, of course, uh, when I mention, like, Comeback Rider of the Year, I even mean, like, kind of, like, given the fact that Ken Roxton, with his injury from last year, basically leaving him out the entire season, like, uh, a huge congratulations for him to start uh, finish the season strong. Um, but I even find I I think this this turnaround from Justin Barsha is even more spectacular than uh, Ken coming back from injury, taking things slow, and eventually being a uh, a top, a uh, uh, basically a week to week top three guy. Like uh, a year ago, uh, Justin Barsha wasn't even competing. For a lot of top fives, he was he was like kind of around the seven to nine range in a lot of motos and uh, and well off the pace um, and and like that that's a that's a a mile that's miles and miles away from going one one. Uh, so his turnaround and uh, the work that he's put in is uh, is huge. So uh, great, good for him and uh, great to see. Hopefully that continues for 2019. Uh, let's talk about the rest of the class a little bit here. Uh, entering the day, Marvin can 18 points down, um, and uh, he needed to basically keep things as close as he could, honestly. It was an outside chance of winning the title. He had to basically have a perfect day, uh, and of course, with the mud, it makes things a little bit more difficult, but uh, yeah, with he basically had to, I think it was at one point different, like it was 24 points uh, going into the last moto. He had to win, and Eli get nothing. Uh, for him to have the championship even if they would have tied uh, Eli would have won on uh, on most wins so um Marvin unable to get the job done but uh uh it was weird to see Eli just rolling around in ninth on uh, the second moto like he's like I want to go win his team's probably like don't go, like don't try and go win if you fall over <laughs> and DNF were screwed uh or possibly screwed they like, even if he, like he could have DNF'd and Marvin get third and he still wins but uh yeah, Eli Tomac, your 2000 uh 2018 champ. And uh yeah, it's 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 been uh like basically in control from the beginning.
0: I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, we've talked about this guy um, every review the last 12 races and I mean, what what more can you say? He's riding he rode 100%. And he gave it his all. Really best a lot of all these guys, even pressure from Roxon and uh Barsha late in the season and Marvin who um could arguably one of the best riders in the world and he just he bullied everybody man i mean really really made something happen um he had a lot of rallies from the second motos you know even if, even if he would have had a mistake in the first one that second moto always got followed up by a great result um you know strong finish uh a 15 second lead half the time even when he came from the back so um it, it was a masterful year for him i mean Anyone that voted against this guy or got him coming into the season, I mean, they're eating their words right now fully. And I know Marvin did all the best he could to to keep him at bay and to kind of make up some points here and there, but it, just, it wasn't enough at the end of the day. Uh, Tomac was just riding on another level. He, he was he was just too good, too smooth, um, and just had a had a, a tenacity or aggression about him that I don't think a lot of the other riders, um, you know, were were expecting or, or could match. So. I think this makes things very interesting for next year. You know, um, I'm I'm excited for Tomac. A little bit bummed for Mooskin, Wish we got it a little bit tighter in the points a little earlier. And uh, we've really seen a dogfight between these guys. Um, yeah, I think it was a couple of years ago actually that Marvin uh, lost a, lost the title at uh, at Ironman in the 250 class with a I think he had a DNF or something. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm sure it feels like feels like like, like, like repeated history for him yeah yeah you know it brings back some uh some bad memories some bad juju for him but um you know nothing he shouldn't you know nothing that he should uh really hold his head down about he had a great season he's been up against one of the strongest riders we've had in a very 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 long time so um i think this is just fuel for next year just keep on pushing and and uh, i want to see another close one next year i mean we got we got some good money's worth this year but uh i want to see it continue on the 19 i'm very very excited to see if uh so Matt can get a feet and kind of uh, follow up on uh, what Villapoto did for a number of years,
1: for sure. And uh, it it it's uh, time will tell if uh, like well, we talk about like all these guys that can win races and contend for championships. But the reality is someone has to get first, someone has to get fifth, and uh, and often those those two positions are are. Uh, a, a good distance apart and uh the all, the another side of that is that uh there's a good chance that all five of those have the ability to get to the front. It's about who pulls the trigger on race day. Just outside that top 5 this last weekend was uh Tyler Medaglia, someone you probably don't know too much about, although you do you are a fan of Canadian Moto, so maybe you know a little bit about uh T Dags, but uh Oh, definitely.
0: That actually the, came down to a yeah. Bunch of a uh, bunch of local races back in uh, New England, so okay. I'm, I'm very familiar with the man. that guy can ride a motorcycle, let me tell you.
1: Oh yeah, he's he's damn good. And, and uh, riding in the mud, uh, just a tenacious guy. Uh, he's like races his one uh, outdoor national this year, and he wanted to make it a good one. Uh, top Kawasaki in the second moto. Um, goes uh, the, the Dunlop guys gave him a spec tire, which uh, if you're a privateer or showing up in a van, you are ever so uh appreciative for that so great motos from him he go he swaps out moto scores with uh phil nicoletti who um i thought phil nicoletti was going to win that first moto he uh we, he, we know he's good in the mud uh and then um out of, seemingly out of nowhere had a lap where just uh nothing seemed to go right for him uh didn't go down or anything he just happened to slide backward uh to get passed by a couple of guys and then uh promptly make, made his way back to about sixth to finish that moto. But, uh, like, when it comes to Phil, I, like, it, this kind of blows my mind how, like, he puts in rides that are, like, especially outdoors, which I guess, like, the teams don't put as much importance on outdoors, and some some teams don't put uh, importance on outdoors at all. Um, but he's so solid outdoors that if if anybody else put in those types of rides, it would like just automatically galvanize them as like a top contender and a team would snatch him up. But when it comes to Phil, he's going to lead laps at, a, at an American national and uh, finish the series uh, well inside the top 10 in points. And uh, there's a good chance that he races in Canada next year. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and if, yeah, and if he some, does, I hope he's on a Husqvarna.
0: Weird stuff. Because he, he clearly goes <laughs> yeah, fast. Be, at least he'll be familiar with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he'll, he'll be familiar with it. Yeah, he, he, that's super weird. He's one of those guys where you know, uh, he, like you said, he'll have a great ride, and everyone is talking up as a That's just Phil, you know. Yeah. Where it's like, holy crap, man! If that was like a if Baggett did what he's doing, yeah, uh, Baggett or, did that. Or, you know, or, or Dean or, or, Wilson,
1: if Dean Wilson win, like yeah. led some laps, we're like, give that man a factory motorcycle five year deal. Uh, but exactly, uh, you know what I mean? Like yep. guys like him or Cunningham or, or, uh, even Weston Pike, like they lead some laps and it's like, Oh, right on. Good for him. Like
0: <laughs>
1: completely <laughs> I'm different. I'm
0: sure that's frustrating for those guys.
1: But yeah, sixth in points like, uh, for, for Nicoletti, like beating out a, a number of guys. And of course he was on factory equipment all summer, but like, uh, at one point he was riding a Suzuki. Then he's riding a Husqvarna. I don't know, but I don't know if you know this, Dave. But those are very different motorcycles. Um, and uh, yeah, he was able to continue and, and, and be pretty strong on those things. So uh, yeah, good for him. Sixth overall in points, uh, just ahead of Weston Pike and uh, Cooper Webb. Kyle Cunningham, tenth in points for the year, and that's pretty cool. Um, a total privateer, like. Having his dad wrench for him, uh, doing some of this work himself. like I'm, I'm sure he's paying some things out of his pocket and stuff like that. That's really cool for, for Kyle Cunningham, 10th in points. That's something you can go to teams with for next year and, and say, like, hey, yeah, like I, I started something and I finished it the right way. That's huge. Top privateer for the season being Kyle Cunningham. That's awesome.
0: Congrats to Cunningham. Uh, especially on a on a, a bike that was relatively new to him this year, yep. and making that transition from Supercross, where um, you know, from what I hear in the pit, they had a little struggles with, with front with front end setup that kind of helped him back a little bit, and, and you know, put in the work in during Supercross and and what seems like a, a decent uh, two week break for him and uh just didn't let that didn't let that hamper him just put the put the time on the testing got a uh outdoor setup that was uh that's working right for him and and had a really really good performance i mean uh you know he was up there battling some guys that i thought would just blow him away and that did blow him away in supercross so to see that rebound in a privateer is super super cool you know uh, i wish more privateers did that and and uh and, and make for and make for more more open rides i think and, and just better racing all around so um, if anyone's looking for what a what a privateer should do, then you know look at Cunningham because he he got it done
1: for sure. And the guy can go fast on a motorcycle. Um, same thing for and uh, he has a, a great ride underneath him. Obviously, uh, rides for the uh, HRC Honda uh, factory racing team. Uh, Toshiki Tomita. Unbelievable season. He ties in points for 13th with your buddy uh, uh, Henry Miller. Um, but if you honestly, if you looked at the the the, the entry list, at the beginning of the season, and uh, and throughout the season, you wouldn't have uh, expected Toshiki to be uh, well within the top uh, 15 and, and like having a lot of motos in the top 10. Um, a better a better season than expected for a guy who uh, is basically the heir apparent to, uh, to, the, to the, uh, the throne whenever um, uh, Narita ends up uh, not racing, he's probably, probably going to race all the way through 2020 uh, the way it is right now, but uh, um, like he's, uh, he's, he's a Japanese rider over in the uh, United States he doesn't race Supercross basically rides outdoors uh, around the calendar and uh, yeah he'll, he'll be uh, a force to be reckoned with at the uh, Motocross Nations, I assume he's on the team Yep, here. fair enough. Look, look at Dave knowing something that I don't know. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and also uh, like another guy on a Honda, eleventh overall in points, just shy of Kyle Cunningham. Cody Cooper comes originally. I think it was just for a few races, or he's thinking about doing uh, the first few nationals, uh, and ends up staying for the whole summer. Eleventh overall, uh, a pretty like a, a pretty solid year for a guy who uh, like we saw him uh, ten years ago. Chasing around uh, James Stewart in the mud at Unadilla, ten years later he's uh, still a, a, a viable rider uh, in the series, eleventh overall in points. That's uh, pretty solid for a guy that was um, basically like full privateering it coast to coast and uh, in, in there with uh, with the plenty of other uh, factory guys. Like uh, ends up the season ahead of I guess Justin Hill raced the beginning of the season on a 250F, so that doesn't really count. But either way. Um, yeah, good season for uh for Cooper or yeah, or Cody Webb. Cody Webb. Cody Cooper. Cody Webb. Co- Cooper Webb. Cody Cooper.
0: <laughs> I bet you a lot of guys didn't realize uh uh the history that uh that Cooper had with racing in the US yeah. and Stewart all those years ago, yeah, man. Those were, that was some of the best racing and one of the one of the only guys outside of Ricky or Chad that uh that really spooked uh Stewart throughout that season, man. He he looked like he was uh one of the only guys capable of winning and could dethrone Stewart when he was going on 24-0. So, um, you know, all you uh, all you young moto nerds out there, man, watch
1: some of those old videos because that guy yeah. was on
0: rails that year and uh, really, really put up some good rides. Nine oh
1: two on a Suzuki City RMZ four fifty, yep. and uh, yeah, gave ever gave uh, the great James Stewart everything he could handle one great day at uh, Unadilla. I can't remember the rest of his results that particular year, but he was up there a fair bit. him, yeah, uh, him and I think
0: had uh, a couple podiums.
1: Yeah, him and Jake Moss, I think, or maybe it was Matt Moss either way. Uh, those guys had a, a particularly good season. Uh, I think that might have been nah, a different year. What was the year that like Clement Destel and Strybos came over and raised a few nationals? That was a weird year. I, yeah, Is that was... Like, was was like 13.
0: Yeah, something like yeah. I yeah. was say it was later on, it was after Stuart's rain outdoors. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it was like twelve or thirteen. Just try again, on a on not trial basis. But yeah,
1: that was yeah. Definitely they just weird. came over, rode Suzuki's, <laughs> and like, and then they left. And you're like, um, like at the <laughs> time, I didn't, I didn't pay too much, too close attention to the two, the the MXGP's, and I'm like, who are these guys? Why are they so fast? Yeah. <laughs> but uh no it's great great season all in all uh it's a bummer that the last the last couple of races or in, within the last two races we had uh two full blown mudders uh which like cool to watch like too- cool to see these guys do what they do in the mud but also it doesn't always make for great racing um although uh Cooper Webb and Marvin Muscan in the second moto uh if those guys are going to be teammates uh, you might want—they might want to, uh, um, for sure. Have um, it, I think it's a damn good thing they're both going to have motorhomes at the races because I don't think those guys would be going to dinner too much.
0: Oh, definitely, yeah, definitely not. Yeah, I mean,
1: those guys are uh, not friends. Secret,
0: you know, <laughs> yeah, Webb's a little bit of a hothead sometimes and um, can kind of get under his competitor's skin a little bit, and that's probably half the appeal of them. So, um, you know, he's not afraid to race these guys, no matter who you are. Extremely close. Um, not, you know. doesn't care about anyone's feelings and political interviews and stuff but it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out for the next season and, and that's, what, that's the one part that a lot of people don't really realize about our sport is how mental this is and just being on a team with a guy that you don't like how taxing that seems to be and i think the only time we've seen it really kind of work out decently was uh star yamaha a couple of years ago when you had. Uh, one of the Martin boys pitting outside of the actual rig and I own tent and you know, the other guys in the main rig and somehow he still managed to, to, to kick butt that year. But, um, yeah, stuff like that, team dynamics, man, it's a big, a big part of the sport. And, uh, I can kind of uh, get in these guys head a little bit and, and make them ride a little bit different. So it'll be something to keep an eye on for next year.
1: Fair enough. Now I didn't prepare uh, you, you with this whatsoever. So I just completely throw it at you. Um, 250 class who are you most impressed with so a rider that you maybe had uh, like just completely unknown or you had no expectations coming in and completely surprised you um and who out of the uh, 250 class did you have the highest expectations for and uh ended up not performing uh or ended up performing furthest from where you had expected him to in 2018.
0: Oh man, you're making me think now.
1: Yes. Um
0: <laughs> I want to say one rider that I didn't expect, um, probably uh, Bozeman. I really didn't see him doing as, as decent as he did. I kind of pictured him as a uh, top fifteen guy and stuff, and um, you know, more so in the later half of the season he, he became like a top five guy and was um, really really threading the needle a lot through some of these tracks and you could see the battle and um, Bud's Creek is a good example. That guy was riding amazingly, very, very aggressive. Didn't seem to falter too much about the moto. So I was pretty pretty, um, pretty impressed with him. Um, you know, I, I would put Justin Cooper up there as well, but I think he wasn't on anyone's radar, being that he was a rookie. So, you know, I'll kind of call that one a wash. Um, but, if, you know, if I can grab more than one, I'll also say Sexton later on in the season, too. That guy... Surprised me a little bit, and I was hearing his name thrown on the pits a little bit for uh, for title contenders for next year and a guy to keep an eye on. So, okay, I, I would say, yeah, I say for those guys for sure. And uh, one runner that, that underperformed for me was, uh, man, I'd have to. I there was a, quite a few guys I would like probably list, but Forkner probably probably takes the cake. You know, I know it wasn't for lack of trying or lack of uh, you know talent, because we saw up there he was up there for a few motos and he was really making a push for the front, but just. These little little falls or just weird circumstances and just whatever bad dark cloud was falling around um, really, really underperformed. And I picture that guy, um, you know, if not taking the championship, at least being second with a handful of wins. And it just did not turn out that way. So, um, yeah, really freaking more of that guy this season
1: fair enough. Uh we'll <clears throat> we'll I'll let you go to the two fifty or 4 in a bit, but uh for me, my biggest uh surprise or uh a guy that exceeded expectations, I'm going to say Justin Cooper. Um had no real like like i would seen the guy ride a little bit in the supercross. We saw him ride a couple of outdoors. Um and like one of them was a mud race, so you don't really know what to expect. And all of a sudden, the guy's like, up there, he's getting hole shots, he's leading laps, he wins a moto in Colorado. Um, and I think the, the length of the season kind of caught up with him later in the year, but like huge uh, kudos to uh, Justin Cooper, a guy who I did not expect him to com- at all compete the way he did, and uh, especially to get third in points on your rookie season. Uh, is, is huge. I think that's, uh, your, your kind of like your biggest surprise, um, guy that like a disappointment, like it's tough to actually like kind of like this particular one, but, uh, like, like not that I expected amazing things from a guy like Dakota Alex, but to basically race all of the races, um, I don't know if he, he might've seen, I think he was at, oh, just about every single one of them. But to finish the season on a factory motorcycle outside the top 20 in points is um, you can't do that. It's it, it, like it's um, it's 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 unacceptable as a as a factory guy. You know what I mean? Like um, like Zach Osborne only raced the first two and a or yeah two and a half uh, races of the year and finished ahead of him in points. Yeah, that was That's, that's not okay.
0: Uh, yeah, that's that's definitely a red flag right there, especially for a factory guy, you know.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah, um, that so, was you know, like, you, yeah. like you if you're say if you're uh Forrest Butler, like you gotta kinda go to Dakota Alex and be like, Hey, what happened here? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, like Exactly, yeah. You know, or or like exactly. a, a Enzo Lope Enzo Lopes who missed multiple rounds. Like you could basically like you could say Enzo Lopes, Dakota Alex, they're like basically the same guy as far as like they're both pretty young. They both like had like like I guess Dakota Alex was like for sure on the team and Enzo was kind of like he just got added on there uh as a refill and ride for Kyle Peters who ended up I think he ended up messing up his knee. Um but they're basically interchangeable as far as their positions on their teams and the level of support they have. But Enzo missed like 3 races due to a broken collarbone and still ended up Almost, in you know, fourteen points ahead, like yep. that's significant. And like I, I, like if if you're Dakota Alex, you you didn't uh, do yourselves any fa- you didn't do yourself any favors this season. And if he listens to this, probably won't give me an interview going forward. But uh, I I I expected I expected him to be in the top fifteen. You know what I mean? Like I, I like he should be up there. But I think a lot uh, of it a lot of guys did yeah
0: you know and he's and he's not a slow guy he's not one of the, he's not a, a guy that we haven't heard of doing well you know he's capable of good rides and he, he's had a couple of good ones mm-hmm. um you know but going back to your comparisons you know um you know it it, it does it does kind of highlight you know the the lack of results for this season and and, you know, when you did compare it to a guy like Enzo Wolves, you got to remember, Enzo Wolf's is still, he was a super, super rookie. That guy yeah. came straight out of amateur. 8-16, maybe? Alex has, yep, yep. And uh, uh, Alex has multiple seasons under his belt. So, um, you know, you're comparing him against a guy who's really never seen this these tracks, never seen the, this competition um, or this type of schedule, which is very, very taxing in itself. So... Um, yeah, very very subpar, and I will be very very shocked if I see Alex back on a, a factory rig with before producing uh, some results that warranted. So uh, not that they did before, but I don't see him keep nailing down that factory ride for much longer if he's uh, if he's going to keep riding, you know,
1: top fifteen, top sixteen, top twenty type deal, you know. For sure, like it's one thing to r- knock down like nineteenth overall when you have stock graphics on your motorcycle and your only sponsor is mtf it's another thing to knock down 15th or 19th place overall if you're you've got like uh rocky mountain atv mc ktm on your sponsors and all all that comes with that you know what i mean like the support system there is top notch um and we've seen other riders like say like an alex ray he gets a factory ride and he was legitimately challenging for top 12 rides and, and like early in the season was like a, he was like doing really well and like hats off to uh, to Alex for for riding as well as he did. And, but it, when you, when you went to the privateer bike, you saw a big difference in his results. And that's, and to me, that's kind of like, like that's evidence that the support system and the the bike does make some difference. But when you get the support system you have everything at your beck and call, and your results don't go forward. I don't mean to pile on Alex Martin or uh, Dakota Alex a little bit here, but man, like I, I, uh, I, I really expected that guy to uh, take a step forward, and like, um, and it's not his first uh, pro season at all. Like he, sh- in my opinion, he should be ahead of guys like Cameron Mcadoo, Jordan Bailey, Sean Cantrell, um, Enzo Lopes. You know what I mean, and, and and to only finish a few points uh, behind those guys is kind of uh, is kind of scratched my head. But uh, um, like maybe the, the, he's got a bit of a gut check, and uh, he comes out swinging next year, and he's uh, he comes out with some some fire in his belly and makes something special happen. But uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. But um, either way, um, what else? What else do we want to talk about? Oh, I wanted to. Um, what did I want to do? I wanted to ask you some like some questions. Asked if I wanted a brand new set of gear, brand new car, brand new apartment. Well, if you want gear, I'll get you some fast house stuff. I'll even play, I'll play. <laughs> I'll play. pay full pop to get you out of that Epic Star stuff, come on. Oh jeez. <laughs> I don't care. I'll pay retail shipping to your door. <laughs> Just because I want you to look cool, Dave. It's not. It's not for any other reason.
0: I thought okay. I was really cool, you know. I I, I heard it's the to guy that makes the gear, not not the other way around. Not true. All, I'm, I'm sure my subpar riding skills doesn't really help me any either. So I
1: don't know about that. I got that. There's that picture of you on on your. Uh, uh d drake's one seven or yeah 175 where you're like you're you're ripping through that one sand corner look at you uh it's all it's, it's all filters that's all it is yeah in, insta filters
0: <laughs> it's, it's just insta inter-fil- filters it's one that makes it scrub harder it's a it's a whole thing
1: okay fair enough you definitely do, you, you got the uh uh the helmet going on with the the matte black that's that's a strong look i'll I'll give you hats off for that i'll give you give you um i am noticing the one like the the garnet boot is dangling back near your uh swing arm do we want to comment on that at all uh i was hoping you wouldn't bring that
0: part up but that picture was taking was taken after maybe about 12 like Fifteen minute motos. I was okay. my legs were burning. Uh-huh. They were, literally tried lifting my leg up high enough on the shroud to, to get it looking cool, but it, that thing just felt like a dead weight, like an anchor.
1: Yeah, and
0: I went with it. I was like, you know what? I'm on a four fifty. It'll pull me even if I drag half my body off this bike. So
1: that's okay. I just
0: made it work for a few pictures, man. But oh my gosh, that you know what? It's like running in sand when your when your thighs are burning, your arms are dead, and oh, you yeah. can barely uh, you can barely get your foot peg your foot like on the foot peg and shift and stuff. So. Yeah, that was I was definitely dead, but uh, yeah, definitely one of the funner tracks I've ridden out here in Wisconsin. Well,
1: we're we're one in the same because I'm going to send you a picture right now of myself going through a corner. I'm blowing it up, and uh, my Alpine Star boot is uh, is dug itself into the ground behind me, and uh, not not exactly the, uh, the the textbook style that we'd hope to uh, achieve. But uh, either way, moving forward, um, 2019 is looming. Uh, all the new gear is out, I suppose, so you won't see new gear at uh, Monster Cup or Straight Rhythm. But uh, what are some of the things that maybe you have planned, or you have in your kind of uh, your, your tickle trunk, as well, the, the tricks that you're going to bring out for uh, both Monster Cup and uh, and Straight Rhythm coming up? Because I think you have got some exciting things going on.
0: Yeah, yeah, we've got some really cool things coming, especially for uh, for Straight Rhythm, uh, where you know we want to make sure that. That the collective stays on top of what, what, what our fans want, what, what you guys want to see, and, and still find a way to get you as close to the action with as little as little effort on your part as possible. So uh, for Strength rhythm, we're doing this very, very, very cool all-access Facebook group, um, and uh, it's giving fans a chance to, to ride along with us and, and get that same behind-the-scenes experience all from the comfort at home. Um, so what we're going to be doing is uh, leading up to the race, we're just going to be dumping tons of content into this private, exclusive Facebook group uh, where you're feeling like you're right there with us. So um, up to like you know bike prep, where we're going for for parts, um, you're helping us make decisions on tires, and uh, you know you're you're getting a you're getting a, a shot of the bike and and testing and uh, photo shoots and team planning all before anyone else gets to see it. And we're going to be rolling out some really cool things in the pits uh, for uh, for straight rhythm. So we're going to go with a really, really cool theme that we're uh, we're going to we're going to unveil only to the exclusive Facebook group ahead of time. Uh, and then once we're at the event, we're going to uh, showcase it to the to the rest of the world. But uh, it's a great way for people who really don't want to spend uh, you know hundreds of dollars in travel to get to the race to so just you know to cut that to get, cut that cost and, and, you know, and eighths pretty much for a lot, for most people. And, uh, and just get a chance to, to sit back, be part of the team with uh, tons of swag. We're sending out exclusive giveaways, tons and tons of, uh, exclusive coupons from some of our awesome sponsors. Um, and just another way for you to, to get that behind the scenes feel and be a team member, uh, without you having to lift, you know, more, more than just a finger to, to click in and, and, and log on. So, I'm um, very excited about that. We're looking forward to getting as many people signed up as possible. Um, and again, all the proceeds that are raised go straight towards helping some of these privateers. Um, they're not sitting back and lining my wallet or anything like that. They're going straight towards these, towards these privateers. The, the bigger we can make this program, the more people we can help, the more fans we can get hooked up, and everyone just grows that way. So really really looking forward to, to, to that event. and. Uh, we're hoping we could do something very similar for Monster Cup. If anyone's interested in going to Monster Cup, definitely let me know. Uh, feel free to hit me up on Instagram uh, at The Collective EX, or uh, send me an email at contact at The Collective XP.com.
1: There you go. Check out Dave. Uh, be a part of that and uh, just bring yourself closer to the industry. Like if you like motocross, if you love motocross, obviously you do. If you're listening to this podcast because uh, you've dug deep into uh, the content that's available to cover this sport and uh, and what better way to bring yourself closer than to literally be making decisions about how certain guys go racing and, and feeling involved and uh, everyone involved with the collective experience is, is extremely approachable and make you really feel at home. So uh, I hope that everyone uh, takes you up on that. I think we're going to work on some stuff. for for Supercross coming up next season and whatnot, so uh, yeah, things are moving and shaking in the right direction. Dave, it's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast, my friend. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing this all summer long for all the Nationals. Um, The collective experience might not uh, uh, pad your wallet, neither does the Big MX Radio podcast show for that matter, uh, because you're a fancy engineer over at a little company called Harley Davidson. But uh, you donate a lot of time to this podcast, and I wanted to thank you before we uh, uh, put this one to bed.
0: Oh, no problem, man. I'm always happy to do it. You know, I love talking moto, I love what Big makes offers, and uh, definitely my favorite podcast out there. So, you know, as long as you keep having me, man, I'll stay up as long as you need me to and uh, keep hopping on and uh, checking in on the Canadian side of things.
1: Right on, my friend. Well, uh, don't hang up just yet, but for podcast's sake, we'll cut it off right there.